0: Welcome into Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman, and this is a podcast, as you likely know by now, where I talk to interesting people who are doing interesting things, things that interest them, things that they're passionate about, and things that are interesting to me. And that's really why this conversation that we had on the Train With The Best podcast is also going to be played right here on Chasing Interesting. It only made sense that when one of my friends was proverbially chasing her interesting, chasing something that meant a lot to her, that I would talk to her about it and uh, that it would wind up here. Her name is Marina Paul and Marina has been a friend for about five years uh, going back to when we started really the Train With The Best podcast and she was working for Super Coffee, a company that has been a partner for us as long as any partner we've had uh, during the time. uh, I guess it's been about three years doing that podcast, almost four, coming up in the spring and Marina was our original connect in and we stayed in touch over the years sporadically. Um, She was a part of the DC fitness circle as well that I've kind of become a part of now. And uh, we have a ton of mutual friends uh, and it's, she's just a really good person and a a cool person, an interesting person. Uh, She played soccer at Georgetown. I won't hold the Georgetown part against her. Uh, And since graduating, you know, worked at super coffee has moved on to another job now, but her interesting was, uh, her background as an athlete and then working for a startup, leadership and how leadership works. And specifically, she found an interest in female leadership, which led her to have a lot of conversations with people who were in leadership positions or who uh, you know, were influenced by good coaches and good coaching in their professional lives, whether that be athletic or otherwise and she has compiled them into a book. The book is called Becoming a Superhero. Pre-order is available now, and you can go to the website in her Instagram bio, at Marina Paul. Uh, It's a website called Indiegogo, and order it. Uh, She's almost to the point where she can publish a hardcover, which is an amazing accomplishment, and that's as of recording this introduction at 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Uh, She might be even closer now uh, by the time you listen to it, and hopefully is going to cross her goal by the end of the week. But the support she's received has been amazing, and it's because she's worth it. She's someone who is just so genuine, and I'm sure I can't wait to read the book because I'm sure these conversations. Uh, benefit from that genuineness when you're having a conversation with someone about something that they're interested in it's one thing to feel like you're prying and and to to kind of just poke and prod and if there's no real camaraderie between the two people even if they've never met before then the conversation is only going to be so good The answers are only going to be so good And thus in Marina's case the book is only going to be so good I have no doubt that Marina got the best out of these incredible people that she talked to So we talked about the people that she talked to We talked about what she learned talked about the process of writing a book We did it all with my Train With The Best uh, co-host Chris Gorez Who's known Marina just as long as I have And uh, here's that conversation Hope you enjoy it here on Chasing Interest Our guest today is a true longtime friend of the pod. Uh, she is the author of the new book Becoming a Superhero, pre-order available now and the book will be out in April. It is Marina Paul. Marina, how are you, ma'am?
1: I'm doing well. I feel like I should run out onto a field right now or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, so <laughs> is, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh and it's now, <laughs> introducing
2: Marina. Right.
0: So the, last time, the last time you got that was probably uh i guess at georgetown huh when you were do they yeah. do starting lineups ever like that in college soccer
1: they do they do i know no one would know because we need we don't have a lot of fans at our games yet but um they do and we actually just celebrated sort of our our fourth anniversary or four years ago was um when we lost in the final four so just saw that post on social media yesterday and it was a it's a fun memory. So. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say
0: it's, it you can tell the competitor when it's not 4 years ago we made the final four it's we lost in the final four. You're still hung up oh, on right.
1: it. Right. Yeah. Right. Still have the nightmares about the goals he missed, you know.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, so I would love to just like give people background first, before we dive into the book and what made you want to write it on you. And like also our relationship, um, you used to work for super coffee, still sponsor of the <laughs> podcast. You were really like kind of the linchpin in that. Um, and so you met Chris way back when, how did you guys initially meet? Uh, and then I obviously met you through Chris and, and all that we were doing.
1: Yeah, this is a crazy story because I was like actually reflecting on it and it turns out Chris and I have probably more co- connections in the soccer world. But at the time, I was going to an Orange Theory gym in Roslyn, and would always work out next to this woman who I started to become like gym pals with. And she's like, "You have to meet." We started talking about what I did, and was working for this Better for You Coffee. Um, all this positive energy, etc. And she's like, "You have to meet my friend and my friend Chris. He's amazing trainer, trains all these professional athletes." And I was like, "Great!" And so I remember dropping off. Coffee, I don't know if it was me or or someone I worked with dropped off super coffee um, with Chris. But then.
2: I think it was you. We met like in the parking lot of Whole Foods.
1: Yeah, it rested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: So that's where the relationship started. And then realized that I had so many other uh, women and men that I played sports with that would have led me to Chris. But it was funny that this was the avenue. that.
0: Wait, who who was the friend?
2: Ruth. Ruth, Ruth. Point floor. I don't know if you remember, uh, you you know if you saw she's around, she's she's probably listening right now, so what's up Ruth? <laughs> what's up Ruth? <laughs> I yeah. know Ruth, she's great.
0: So Chris, what yeah. do you remember when you met Marina for the first time, yeah. other than she's very tall?
2: So, so, Ruth, <laughs> well, so yeah, I remember Ruth was saying, yeah, you got to meet this girl, she works out with me at Orange Theory, but she's not like the other Orange Theory mom, she's actually an athlete, she played, <laughs> she played over at Georgetown. Um, she's got the thing called super coffee and Ruth is one of these people that she just knows everybody. Like Ruth is one of these people that she, she works at at different places. So she knows Chris over at cut seven and that's how I got to know him. And, you know, she just knows kind of everybody in the, in the fitness world. And she's just that type of person. And she's always the type of person that connects people. So yeah, she's connected me Marina and, uh, I didn't, I don't know what I'm walking into because sometimes Ruth just sets me up with weird people. So I don't know, but I'm like, all right, Ruth, I'll I'll do this. Let's, let's meet your girl and, and, um, let's, let's see what comes out of it. And yeah, I remember it was just somebody that was really cool to talk to and somebody that, that, that we could hang out and, and grab a coffee with or a beer with, or just, just chill. So, um, it's always good to start business relationships or any type of relationship with people that you're cool with. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. mm-hmm yeah and i think it was so neat because i got to see your journey and starting onyx your gym and all that and we were you know a part of the opening and just to see you know sort of all of that manifest um into some like what it is now it's it was, it was a really cool time for us to when i say us referring to sort of super coffee to jump into that so yeah, um, and i think that you like why we vibe so well is because that brand thrives off of connect, having genuine relationships with people and that connection of like, we can be friends. So rather than sharing a beer, you're sharing a super coffee together. It's, it's one of those, it fits in very well to, you know, your lifestyle and, and, and what you're trying to do. So it was a, it was a perfect match in that kind of a way. Yeah.
0: For sure. And it's kind of funny too, how you mentioned that, you know, you had all these people that would have eventually led you to Chris, same thing with us. Like, we were just talking, my girlfriend is, who's in the other room right now is someone you knew, but like not through me, you knew her and we're friends with her through cut seven, which Chris just mentioned right. as well. Like the triangulation here is, is pretty funny. Um, not to mention your soccer life. You, you were teammates with crystal Thomas, uh, who played with us with the spirit, uh, at Georgetown. So there's like all these different, like the fitness world just gets so small, which is always super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and obviously we have all those mutual connections. So, um, You just moved out of DC though. You're out in LA uh, now and and have taken on some new ventures, including writing a book. My friend, Mm -hmm. why did you want to write a book? That is no small undertaking.
1: Well, so I think the short of it was we're, we're in quarantine and I think everyone was faced with this dilemma of like, okay, I'm either trying to survive here and what are the mechanisms I'm putting in place to actually survive? Or it's like, I'm doing this thing that is is helping to keep like a job per se to help that's helping to feed me take care of me and then at the same time I'm like yeah but I'm I need to find something that I'm passionate about again and I I relate so much to like the life of a student athlete you have school and you have your sport and so Mm -hmm. you constantly are juggling two things and I needed that second thing that I was so passionate about um and what I think the why I think that's so amazing. And it's it's like playing two sports when you grow up too. It's like when I'm do- not doing well at one thing, I have this other thing that I can achieve in, or you know, it's a it's a really good balancing act. So that's kind of what drove me to want to do something greater. I never thought really I would write a book, honestly. I didn't know it was possible. Um, and I, I kind of needed a structured system. So when one of my professors, my favorite professor George Georgetown put out this series that he basically a company created um, for people to be able to write books outside of college. I was like, yep, sign me up. I'm gonna do it. I want to feel fulfilled again. I wanna do something for myself. I wanna feel proud of myself for achieving something again. Um, And ultimately just like work my ass off at something. So um, that is why I chose to write this. So. And so
0: you talk to all these different athletes talk to all these different people, um, professionals, whoever, um, for the book, how did you even begin that process of starting to like, how quickly did you have the concept and then your list of people and, and what was the process for you to start to reach out to them, to have these conversations that ultimately become the book?
1: Right. The first thing I will say about writing a book, don't ever choose a topic that you're like, not like you're kind of interested in, like you have (laughs) to love this thing. Yeah. Um, because you have to sit with yourself a lot alone, writing this, editing this, being critical. And if you're not passionate, it's not gonna like, you're not gonna be fulfilled in writing it. So that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing in in finding my topic, um, I am at this point where I'm starting to get deeper into my professional career, really, really wanted Women who I could look up to, representative of um, who I should be, but it's so hard to find that representation, and it's so hard to get to know them authentically. I think as we see, like the way female athletes are marketed versus um, male athletes, you know, for women, I care about if I can be friends with her more so than I care about like her stats. Like it's all—it's a full encompassing, um, I guess, wholesome experience. Whereas I look at male athletes, I'm like, he's the sickest athlete by, by stats alone. And like their professional or their personal life is separate, I guess. So taking that all in, I was like, we need more women to look up to. And I literally was like, who are the women I'm inspired by? I wrote them all down, DM them on LinkedIn and Instagram. And one thing led to another. You, you know, all the follow ups, really similarly to how we all met you know in the sports and the professional worlds, within those small circles if you have good relationships with people they'll open so many doors for you um and the best ex- and the best example i can give is um miss val condos field she was the ucla women's gymnastics coach won seven national championships her mentor was john wooden and i dm'd her and i was like i i like profess my love for her i was like you're amazing i think you're an incredible leader And she introduced me to Jordan Weber, and I got to interview Jordan and it was that alone. She answered a DM on Instagram. And so that's how all that happened.
2: That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about kind of like going into, uh, the book then, like what if, if I'm just going to pick up this book randomly, what can I expect to find in this book? Yeah.
1: So it's really all about like discovering the leader in yourself. And I don't define leadership as any one thing, because I think that there's two things. You can be a dictator and a motivator. And other than that, based on your unique abilities, I think that you have the power to figure out which type of leader you are and define that for yourself. So when you pick up this book, it's really like a toolkit of finding, okay, what are my superpowers that make me unique and make me me? And then how can I go out and use them to not only champion my role, but also to Elevate others in the process because that's the the second part that I think that needs to be drilled down um, more into leaders that we see today. It's not only are we hitting the bottom line, but like are we improving the lives around us for the greater?
0: Right. I think that's interesting to split it up that way: dictator, motivator. Um, and I'm curious are those like I feel like those two words have very different connotations. Like motivator is seen as positive. Um, dictator wouldn't, obviously I don't think anyone's like, Oh yeah, the good dictator. Um, but <laughs> the way you define them in terms of leadership, do you, are, are there positive traits of both? Like, can there, is there such thing as a positive like leader who is a, a dictator in style? Is, is that possible? Or is it really trying to find, you know, if you are more of a dictator in your leadership style to how to become more of a motivator, like how, how do you define those terms?
1: Yeah. So I like to relate it to two types of, um, coaches that you might have. One will, use like screaming tactics and anger to like incite their athletes to perform. And some people respond well to that. And then I think there's other coaches that, like the John Woodens or the Val Condos Fields of the world who are all about embracing the inner you, figuring out the problems, but spinning it in a positive way to motivate you. So I think there can be qualities of a dictator um, that can make your team successful but I think long-term, how do you define that success? Is it by winning national championships or is it winning national championships and also creating athletes that can go on to do tremendous things in the world? So we've just based on research, um, we, I found and suggest that motivator is definitely the path to go on for like long-term success of people and, and just greater happiness
2: if that's your goal. Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's kind of funny. Like in the sports world, um, you do have leaders who are kind of dictators, especially in, in the world of highly competitive sports at the top level. You have a Michael Jordan type of, of dictator that is going to say, Hey, look, no, we're going to do things my way. And it's justified by the results. Cause if you don't get the results, if you don't get the wins, then your dictatorship, is over right and, and it's funny because like every dictator in the world started out as a hero that's why mm-hmm. they gained popularity right but in the sports world like every dictatorship is also supplemented with somebody who was the motivator right like nj had mm-hmm. uh, uh phil jackson who kind mm-hmm. of was the the yin and the yang to, to his dictatorship like there was somebody else there to, to motivate so yeah somebody had the, the hard iron fist and ruled it with an iron fist and said, no, this is the way we're going to do things. But then there was somebody else there to say, Hey, no, look, this is, Hey, I got you. And then he, he was able to connect with like a Dennis Rodman or a Scottie Pippen and keep yeah. everybody else bought in.
1: Yeah. That's such a good point because in my experience with coaches that are harsher, there's always like a counteracted assistant coach who has like that opposite personality. Who's like, all right, let's get the team together. they're yep. not, afraid to be yelled at by the coach, but that assistant coach like has your back. Um, and is someone that you can always talk to. So that's, that's such a good point.
2: Yep.
0: Um, I also think of like, I'm reading president Obama's book right now. And he talks about how in his like he, he realized during the campaign that he was becoming a symbol for a lot more than really what he was comfortable with that he, and also that so much was happening to, celebrify if that's a word make celebrity him i don't know celebrify a word <laughs> rachel a celebrify a word sure sure I don't know. it's a podcast sure a podcast. it is now
1: it's like a verb so yeah let's
0: add it. celebrify uh president obama and that he's like this is not how this is going to work this is bad because if i don't come through with all these things that I can't do by myself. I need the entirety of the United States government uh, and a lot of people who deserve a lot of credit if they happen. And if they don't happen, I, I'm pretty confident it's not going to be just of me. That like almost like he wanted to be or like the public wanted him to be a dictator because they so believed in the power of his ability to do good. And that actually was harmful as well. Did you, did you encounter anything like that uh, in any of the interviews uh, in your book?
1: yeah and I think that it's it's something that's so much more common now because we have as like constituents or just like regular people, we have so much more access to all of these celebrities, and we know so much more about them. And specifically to your comment about President Obama, um, he even mentioned like you know the sen- different senators and people and representatives who like couldn't make decisions because people would be at their house like threatening to kill them. Um, and we're seeing that all over the place now. So I think there definitely is that pressure. Um, and we talk about that in conjunction with sort of vulnerability and how much you let in, how much you let people see your raw self and the fine line of like still maintaining that professionalism. Um, so that's a, that's a really good point. And there isn't an, an easy answer. I think it um, depends on who, who it is.
0: I've also just been told uh, that the word is celebritize. It's celebritize, not celebrify. So we weren't that far off. Um, (laughs) Another like, kind of playing on the the dictator motivator thing is like what happens when a coach thinks like philosophically is like I'm a motivator and and that's the way they see it. But reality, the way they act is, is as a dictator. Cause I think that happens too. We're like, there's just not as, as high of a level as, next, or as there should be of self-awareness.
1: Self-awareness and self-awareness mm-hmm. is probably the, the greatest thing I spend the most time on in my book. Um, and talking about women who have tremendous amount of self-awareness, um, starting with like Harriet Tubman to RBG to Michelle Obama to Lindsay Vaughn. Those are like my personal superheroes. Um, they are so introspective constantly of what they're doing. And that's why I spend so much time talking about, like you have to understand what makes you a leader in your own life and what are the things that you can do to really figure out like who you are and what you wanna do to, to be and be critical of your performance to actually be sort of the superhero figure. I think ego is the biggest thing that plays a role in not being self-aware because you don't do that work to be critical of yourself. Like I say, you don't watch film on yourself right. um, and and are able to correct it.
2: Right. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a really good point. I mean, you are not what you think that you are. You are what other people think that you are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are going to be a leader, I think, you know no matter what type of leader that you are and i think this goes to to the motivator right like if you are going to be a motivator you have to understand what motivates people and to, and to do that you have to get feedback from them right like you have to see if if the things that you're you're trying to implement is working if it's sticking if it's um being executed the way that you originally planned it and that's that's kind of the only way to, to gauge yourself as a leader and you know, being able to share some of the experiences that you have, um, it, it it comes through. Yeah, it, it comes through as somebody that if if it comes across with ego, like, hey, this was my experience. Right. And this is how everybody's experience should be. Then, yeah, that, that becomes a, a dictator. But if it comes through and you say, hey, th- these were my experiences. Tell me about yours and what were the similarities and what were the differences that that leans more towards the motivation. And I think that's what it takes to um you you need a little bit of both but like yeah i i I think if, if we're talking about somebody who actually knows how to motivate people that's what it takes
1: yeah and just to that point another thing that i like to mention is like how do you learn to listen to people um because you can be put in these powerful leadership positions but you're really like you said you're really only as good as your all of your employees are together so just like being on a team you're you're as good as your weakest link like you have to make sure that you can build those relationships with people understand where they're coming from especially people who don't look like you who don't have your background who live completely differently than you you have to be able to get to understand and know them at a fundamental human level to be able to to lead them And that is one thing why I so badly wanted to focus focus this book on just women. I don't think that just women can be superheroes by any means, but I think that there has been so much information put out there, mostly by people in charge, which happen to be more men right now. And I wanted to understand what was the thing that women did really, really well on their own, like not even comparing and contrasting necessarily, but just what did they do uniquely well? And it's, it's these traits, it's like the motherly traits that were, were thought of as bad, but it's really like, how do I get to know you and care for you and then be able to, to help lead you?
0: Did you have a hypothesis on what those traits were going in and then what, Did you find that was like, yep, was right about that? And then maybe like, what did you learn that was a little bit different than what you thought initially?
1: So I definitely had a hypothesis mostly because of a coach that, um, was with me towards my end of my career at Georgetown. So I tore my ACL twice, um, and in the biggest championship my junior year, and then tried to do, um, I call it my Adrian Peterson, but come back in like seven months. And Adrian's not
0: an actual human being. He's a cyborg. Do not recommend yeah, I know
1: so, <laughs> bad idea ended up, you know, tearing my MCL ACL and meniscus again. Oof. Um, Oof. yeah. It, so it was during that time period where I was very, very uncomfortable. You know, you get your athleticism taken away from you and you don't necessarily know what to do anymore. I didn't know how to reg- be a regular student or like make a conversation that wasn't entirely about, you know, sort of sports. So, um, I had a coach who she just she fundamentally changed my mindset of like how I can lead a team, whether things are going well for me or not. My entire collegiate career, everything pretty much had gone well for me. So this was a time when I wasn't performing and wasn't performing well. Um, And she's like, it doesn't matter. You're in this position. You have to be able to see people for who they are, say hello to them every day and understand that everybody on your team, whether they're a walk on or they're, you know, a starting player. Or an all-american like they get treated the exact same um and because of her leadership and what she taught me i truly believe like we weren't the most skilled team but we got to the final four because we just loved and believed in every single person and so because of that i took those sort of skills and i was like i have a hypothesis this, this transformative leadership of seeing people and how do you be a just a fundamentally good human and teammates, people going
2: to it. Um, one thing yeah. I wanted to ask because you, you talked about kind of the motherly instincts. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we, we're coming off of a pretty, uh, pretty nasty political season uh, in in the election. And, you know, something that came out of that was the historic election of, of our first female vice president. And I've always kind of hypothesized if we're talking about hypotheses here, um, that women are always going to be able to empathize more than men do because men will never, ever have to carry another life inside of their own body. That's something that only women do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and because of that, like they're naturally like they're literally forced to think of something other than themselves. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that women just do better. Is that something mm-hmm. that you found? Is, is there something that in, in, in your book where you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah i definitely talk about that and there's like harvard business review put out these studies of like these leadership characteristics that women just perform better on um when tested and it's these ability to empathize to create to focus more on culture and um how people work together versus like how much people can produce um and focusing sort of on these You know we focus so much on these bottom line revenues and it's like why don't we focus more on these baseline human human uh traits or characteristics and in turn that will raise um profits or whatever you're trying to do get you more wins so it's women tend to focus more on sort of like those softer human-like skills um but a point you brought up which is what i talk about is sort of the shattering the glass ceiling and then falling off the glass cliff and shouting glass ceiling is like what kamala harris is doing but if you notice a woman is selected in probably the worst environment that our country has ever been in possibly our world and that's not just true that that happens in so many different occasions in fortune 50 companies where women are put in these positions where they're probably doomed to fail um but people put them in those positions because they're kind of like, we have no other option. And so if a woman fails, it won't be because women don't have a success rate necessarily yet. It's okay. If she fails, we'll supplement it with someone else. And there's so much research. And when I talk about my book, and so they just get shoved off this glass cliff that they climb so hard to achieve to. Most of them, a lot of them end up prevailing, but it's under almost impossible situations. So while Kamala has done unbelievable things, and I'm so happy for and proud that she's in that position, we I think we ha- also have to recognize that she's been put in one of the hardest situations ever, and she's going to be the most criticized, down yeah. to her, the shoes that she selects.
2: Oh, of course. Of
1: so, course.
0: yeah. Uh- President Obama actually talks about, I I literally just read this part like two nights ago where he talks about that with the 08 financial crisis and and one of his advisors goes, oh, now they put a brother in. And it's like, same thing as as the first black president. Um, So yeah, I can't wait to read that um, and and dive into that. All right, I have a few more, Chris. You got a few more. Uh, Marina has been very gracious with her time. Uh, So uh, my first question of my final ones uh, is, what is the thing that you learned the, or like the most significant thing you learned while writing the book, you know, and writing the book being the entire process of the interviews and and then eventually sitting down and, and piecing them together.
1: Yeah. So something, a personal journey that I've been on, um, while writing this book. And I, I don't think, I can't deny that we're in a pandemic that's taken way too many lives. Um, was in D.C. during the protests um, for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many other uh, so many others who were brutally murdered. So many black people that were brutally murdered, um, and we're just in this situation where people are literally suffocating. And then California, my home, my home state, was just on fire. And so something I learned though was once I studied it more is this idea of sisterhood and what me as a white woman like what i can fundamentally do to change who i am and the way i see the world and the way i talk to people um and just flip it on reverse almost instead of seeing like oh it's white woman against or it's women against everything it's like what can i do as a woman to strengthen the bonds with other women so we together collectively can take our traits and be a force for good and the best way I think we can do that is through this sisterhood model. You don't have to be best friends or super close with everyone, but you have to come to a level of love and compassion for people like you would a sister. And so that's like the biggest thing that I learned that I'm just like, Ooh, I need to, I need to definitely take this with me um, once I am done with this book.
2: Gotcha. Um, Flipping that, then. So that was something that that you learned. That, that that kind of obviously writing a book is is kind of a journey, not just for for every one of your readers, but for yourself as you write the book as the author. What what was maybe one thing that you want all all of your readers to to take away from it? If that's what you took, is it is it that that you want them to take, or is there something else that you want them to take from it?
1: Um, what I want people to take is that I think we all by the by the time we're 10 years old like that's when we start figuring out like what society wants us to be and all of these things that should be predestined for us um and what i what i want people to take is kind of to say help to hell with that look inside understand what makes you truly happy and what your quirks and your skills and your what like lights you on fire and ignites you and then how can you use that to one make your health make yourself just fundamentally happy and like excited to wake up every day and then how can you go and put that out in the atmosphere um so i I more so want it to be a journey for people to understand again like i kind of said at the beginning understand and look in what are their super, what are their superpowers? Because you're not really defined by anything that someone has predestined for you. Like you have the power to control that. Um, and I think that's so important for everyone to, to understand.
0: All right. Last question. Uh, two, two parter classic, uh, who is the coolest person you talk to for the book? The person that you're having the conversation, you're like, I cannot believe I'm talking to this person right now. And if you could interview one more person, you get to pick and they're saying, yes, who is, who is the next ask that you would have had?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question because I think when you're writing a book or like doing a podcast or something, you want like the biggest name ever. You're like, I geek out over you. I want to spend all my time with you. But I honestly, like I wanted to focus this book on local heroes as well, because I believe it can be your mom, your grandma, your dad. Brother, it could be anyone, right? So I would say, I mean, Jordan Weber by far, so cool. I think I stuttered like I was had like a crush on a really cute boy and I couldn't talk to him. I was
2: nervous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I it, like, my words weren't coming out, and she's like, "What are you trying to say?" Um, so that was, I mean, super cool. But I can't deny, probably my favorite interview, and mostly because I think she's a coach, and we just like vibed off of that her name is coma Gandhi. she um went to harvard played walked on the soccer team there then figured out her passion was rugby she did rotc as well and she's a lieutenant in the navy then she became the first head coach of a men's armed forces team so she coaches the men's um navy rugby team and all she could talk about and she is also director of code academy like unbelievably smart Harvard Chief Marshal, which Nobel Prize winners are chief marshals of Harvard, like started this veterans program at Ernst and Young. And all she could talk about was like, man, I just like, I'm so bummed that we lost twice last year. Like that, she was so <laughs> focused on that or she wakes up and she's like, I have nightmares that my playbook isn't right. That's and amazing. it's incredible. And she had these stories about how when she was first coaching, People would come at, up and ask her like if she's um, was a trainer that could like help tape ankles, and no offense mm-hmm. to trainers out there at all, but she was cool. like, oh, "I'm I'm the head coach," <laughs> but no one thought that a female, let alone a black female, would be the head coach of a men's rugby team, and she just takes it in stride and she just does it, and she's like, "I don't know why you're interviewing me, but I'm so grateful." And I was like, oh, "Cause <laughs> you're incredible,"
0: but hear yourself right now. <laughs> I know.
1: And and just people like that who have like no clue that they're just so unbelievable. They just go and do it. Um, she was like by far someone I will never forget.
0: And who would be the person if you could get one more?
1: Okay, so I would say that Lindsay Vaughn is someone who I have looked up to since I was. little girl mostly because she bombs down mountains at 90 miles an hour and has had multiple i think i don't think multiple is a big enough word for how many knee reconstructions he's had and she like literally puts herself on like almost a deathbed every death sentence every time she goes down the hill but she's literally has the most awards that you can at her in her competition men male or female so i think someone like that who just re- has received so much criticism um but still goes out there and just like does it hate like with so much pain i just i like i literally love her and and how she is on body image and what it means to be a female athlete um and be a leader and make something out of an ice sport that no one you know that isn't really that big um i would like totally freak out. It'd probably be a really boring interview for her because I'd be so nervous, but I yeah, would be insane.
0: That's, that's a pretty good one. Okay, now for the fun part, the the professional plugging. Marina, where can people go to get your book?
1: They uh, can go to the website that is linked in my Instagram bio. It's called my publisher. Um, we're using a course called Indiegogo. It's a fundraising campaign. My pre-order ends on December 20th. Um, you can go and order it. My goal is to get to $6,000 because I would love to publish a hardcover um, of my book. And yeah, it would just mean the world to me for people to support. Or if you know someone who, who might find this, um, impactful or intriguing, please, please send them my link.
0: Would make a great holiday gift. I copped my copy this morning and I think If three more people buy it, I'm not great at math, but I think that's how that that math was working. I think you only need three more people to buy it as of this morning. So by now it might even be there to reach your goals. So that'd be pretty sweet and people should go do it. Uh, We will make sure to link as well in the episode description. So uh, you can follow Marina on Instagram, just search Marina Paul. And uh, (laughs) if not, if you're lazy, just go to the description of this podcast and at least get the book you lazy bum Marina this was fantastic Uh, can't wait to see you again in person when we're allowed to like traverse the country and such and uh, thanks for not just doing this but for your friendship over the years and and for all the the positivity you bring to the world
1: oh I I love you guys and I'm so happy this like brought us back all together again um, from all over the country so this is
0: great love you too good luck with the book Good luck, Marina.
2: Right. <laughs> Bye.